Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. The Andy Poland Show. We've got to go after this with everything we got, thinking they're going to come with everything they got. I'll start off by saying I'm bored, I'm broke, and I'm back. The Andy Poland Show on ESPN 630 starts right now. So when's the parade? What do you mean parade? Yeah, the parade about Mike McCarthy staying. <laughs> wow. I, I don't know how I don't know how this is gonna happen, but it is, I guess, because Jerry Jones released a statement last night. Says he's sticking with Mike McCarthy next season, and McCarthy is going into the last year of his contract, which seems odd, but Cowboys have done business like this before. Jason Garrett twice went into the last year of his deal. And I guess once survived, um, I guess he's figuring he's going to pay him. Might as well have him work. Um, that eliminates the Bill Belichick discussion, I guess. And even at 81, I think Jerry is still trying to get one where he gets most of the credit. And, uh, and Belichick, if he came in and won one, it wouldn't work that way. Um, so <laughs> this is, uh, well, not necessarily for regular season because McCarthy's had great regular season records, three straight 12-win seasons. But they stink in the playoffs. His playoff record is 1-3. and three. And again, with what the Packers did to them last weekend, it wasn't just that the Cowboys lost the game. It's the way that they lost the game. <laughs> I don't know how you round everybody up and say, okay, let's make the big run so we can get to the playoffs again and – Lay an egg, you know. I, I just it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially with all the good candidates that are rolling around there, including Jim Harbaugh. Now I don't know if Harbaugh would be Jerry's kind of guy. Uh, I you know, Harbaugh marches to the beat of his own drum. I was told that when he coached at Stanford and when he came into Stanford, they were nothing. They, that that program was was like a three or four win team in the Pac-12. And he made them into uh, even a national championship contender when they had Andrew Luck. But uh, he would set up meetings with the president of the school, the president of the university, and would be a no-show. And the uh, the uh, assistant to the president would call the football office. And, oh, yeah, Jim's out recruiting. You know, he, he doesn't really, you know, pay too much attention to people above him. And uh, I don't know uh, if the mix with Jerry would be that good. But uh, it is an interesting situation with Harbaugh. He has interviewed with the Chargers. And you would think that if there's mutual interest, boom, done deal, right? You got Justin Herbert. You got the quarterback there. Um, you got a great stadium to play in. The team has some decent personnel with Bosa. I mean, they've got, they got some players. And you would think that, that that's a place that he might want to go. But – it does appear that he's using the NFL for leverage with Michigan, if that makes any sense. Now, he may find the situation is what he wants it in the NFL, but he's gone shopping in the league before 
and hasn't drawn enough interest. Now, apparently, there is quite a bit of interest in him, but he's playing one side against the other. And this was, I thought, fascinating yesterday. Dan Wetzel, who covers college sports for Yahoo and uh, who also has written a number of books about college football, uh, was on with uh, Dan Patrick yesterday, and he explained exactly what they're going through at Michigan with the Harbaugh contract, and it's basically a cheat-proof deal. This is Wetzel with the specifics on the Harbaugh deal. Look, if he gets offered the right job in the NFL, he's going to go to the NFL. I think that's a fair uh, expectation. So this is really a backup plan. I'm not really sure there's anything Michigan could do uh, other than some absurd financial amount or something um, that could keep Jim Harbaugh if he finds the intriguing offer. But there's certainly the backup plan. So it's, you know, six years, $11.5 million guaranteed base with some performance bonuses that would make him either certainly the highest paid in the Big Ten, um, perhaps in the uh, the whole country. Some of these new deals, uh, we're not sure all the details. Um, there are, are certain clauses that are are unusual. Uh, he can't. He basically can't get immunity from punishment for either of the two current NCA investigations that are going on. One into whether he misled investigators who are looking into a, a bunch of uh, level two violations, and then of course the Connor Stallion situation with the advanced scouting and the and the sign stealing. Uh, there would be a a set deal that uh, in future violations, there'd be kind of a matrix defined if anything else comes up of series of fines, um, <laughs> really laying out some different things that could happen uh, in the future. Uh, he's trying to not execute this deal. E- even if he were to agree to an extension right now, it wouldn't go into place until February 15th, uh, which is, is pretty smart because right now his buyout, if a, if a team wants to hire him away from Michigan. They owe Michigan $1.5 million that dropped on January 11th. Uh, the new deal would maybe be about $4 million, but if it it's not executed until February 15th, then that would pretty much be the entire NFL cycle, uh, coaching carousel cycle. So, you know, he would still be on the lower deal, um, different ways that he could potentially be terminated. I and mean, he's trying to get everything in there that he possibly can. It's a really unique situation because rarely do we have, uh, a coach win a national championship, also be under two NCAA violation cases and have all this NFL interest at the same time. So as with everything with Jim Harbaugh, it is its own unique contract uh, job search uh, situation. But I think Bill Self has similar language in his contract at Kansas. He does. And uh, that might be the 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 path here. Bill Self wasn't about to leave for the NBA while he was working that out, though. But Bill Self is essentially unfireable. Uh, and it gets to where if you if you're going to fire Harbaugh for cause, it would it would go to like a three. It wouldn't be the AD who could do it. It would be a three panel uh, arbitration kind of stuff they do with presidents of universities. Uh, it's pretty creative to get as much protection for Jim uh, as you possibly can going forward. And uh, a quick aside, the NCA has got a new system in place called strict liability for head coaches so that if anybody on your staff, any assistant coach, any staffer violates an NCA rule, the head coach is now responsible. And uh, I think what Jim is trying to do here, and I mm. think it's going to become commonplace for all coaches, is that may be true for the NCA, but I can't be fired for that. 
Um, I can't normally if there's an NCA violation, the language would say you're that is cause for termination. I think what all these coaches are going to say is that's not fair. There's a hundred people working in this football office. There's 25 working in this basket. If, if somebody does something somewhere, I can't lose my $10 million a year job. So he's a little cutting edge on that one that the, uh, the coaches aren't, aren't too in favor of this new NCA standard of punishment. If Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL, is he obligated to talk to the NCAA with the investigation into uh, Michigan's sanctions? He is not. So once you're not an NCAA coach, you are free uh, free to walk away, and uh, they mercifully do not have uh, the power to compel testimony. I don't think we need that out of NCAA investigators. Is it Harbaugh wants to go to the NCAA? I'm trying to figure out if I'm Michigan in this situation. Like at what point do you say, we're going to move on here. Can they move on from Jim Harbaugh before Jim Harbaugh moves on from them? Uh, you know, he's uh, 40 and three in the last three years. Just won the national <laughs> title. Yeah, but they won uh, six games without him on the sideline. They did, but uh, it was their, they've won, they won half, a, they, they won half a national title in 1997. And the one before that was 1948. <laughs> so Jim Harbaugh has a tremendous amount of support. Certainly amongst the fans and boosters okay. uh, and the school, they want to keep him. But I, I agree with you. I, I think there's only so much you can do. Hey, look, if you want to go to the Chargers, go to the Chargers. And look, there are there's seven jobs open now. We could still get Dallas. We could still get Philly. Probably not Pittsburgh we're hearing now, but you don't know. We're starting to get into real franchise. This isn't like, do you want to go to Carolina and lose and get fired in two years? Uh, these are real opportunities. He's already interviewed at two spots. So I kind of feel like if Jim Harbaugh can't get an NFL job this year, it's not going to happen. And and if I, you know, if you're Michigan, you kind of like, look, we'll pay you, we'll give you some stuff, we'll we'll protect you. We've been behind you all the way, but to just walk away from them, they're not ready to do that. And and, uh, um, you know, that's just the that's just the situation. He's he, fifteen and zero does a lot for uh, for your juice on campus. No question. That's uh, Dan Wetzel of uh, Yahoo. And, uh, and he brings up a, a point about um, what can a coach be charged with being responsible for. And what Harbaugh has in this contract apparently is, okay, if they find, you know, violations, the sign stealing, all that stuff, uh, he doesn't get tagged with it and still gets to keep all of his money, isn't fired, et cetera. And, it, and he's, as Wetzel said, this is going to be the way all coach contracts are written. You know, So basically, you, you, you can do the whole Sergeant Schultz thing as long as you want. I know nothing. And, and I was just thinking about the Joe Paterno situation at Penn State when the Jerry Sandusky horrible scandal surfaced. And, you know, you had Paterno trying to distance himself from it, but he wasn't able to do it. You know, they, even though he may or may not have had direct knowledge of the horrible, heinous acts that were going on, uh, he was ultimately charged with being responsible for the program and was fired. And, you know, he was in his 80s and it, it made sense for him to go anyway. But that's, you know, they took down his statue. It was, it was an ugly, ugly period for Penn State and certainly for Paterno. If if these new contracts are written in such a way, you know, does he does he and it sounds like that's the way it's going because coaches are are, are saying, well, you know, I, I can't there's a lot of people working on these staffs. I don't know what they're gonna do, you know. He may or may not know. Now coaches have told me that it's your job to know everything that goes on in your program. But 
the way this deal could be written if Harbaugh stays is, well, yeah, you're supposed to know, but if you don't know, it's not your fault. Interesting. This is uh, Rick Spielman. Rick Spielman is is continuing to be employed by CBS as a as an insider on the draft and the NFL, former Vikings executive, but was part of the committee that uh, that chose Adam Peters as the uh, new new general manager of the commanders. And he hasn't left his day job, still doing that. So uh, yesterday on a podcast that he does on CBS Sports, uh, he explained exactly what his role is with the commanders. I have no involvement with Adam in personnel decisions and evaluation of players. So anything that when I do get back to being allowed to talk about these prospects is that it's purely, I think they do that on some of the infomercials. This is purely on my own in my own reflection. It has nothing to do with the Washington commanders. It has nothing to do with Adam Peters or the direction they're going to go in the draft. And I, I've been working the last two weeks between the side job, uh, evaluating all the senior bowl talent that will be down there in a couple of weeks now that the list or is for the podcast in. for the podcast. for the podcast yes not for the washington <laughs> commanders they do not get any of my reports i do not want to know and i have knowing in care of what direction they're going to go but i do know this as i went through this process uh with uh bob myers who's a very impressive individual the gm from the golden state warriors and and uh, working with Josh Harris, who I know is the right leader of this franchise, the right ownership uh, group that is supporting him with with Urban Magic Johnson and, and with all the other partners. It is very refreshing to see uh, how passionate they are about bringing a winning football team uh, back to this organization. And when I went through the GM searches uh, and was a part of those interviews and how we set up the interviews, how diligent uh, the process was, uh, how detailed it was. I was excited because interviewing all the five candidates that we had that came through uh, were more than qualified. And I believe all of them are going to be a GM here in, in the near future. But I learned a lot of stuff, too. I learned how different teams operate, uh, how different teams run their draft process, analytics, sports science. So to me, as much as I was trying to interview them, uh, I actually was really fascinated by the way the NFL has changed even five, six years ago, even you know two years uh, when I was let go by the Minnesota Vikings on how things are advancing in analytics, how things are advancing in sports science. Um, so it's been an incredible experience for me and an incredible learning experience because talking to all these top flight talent evaluators, you get a very good insight on how each of these teams operate and you can see why they have been so successful. That's Rick Spielman. So he's uh, staying with CBS, continuing his, his day job, but is part of the committee that is helping to find a coach. And, you know, at, at the moment, it looks like Ben Johnson is far and away the first choice. We're going to find out more about that in the next hour. Tim Twentyman, who covers the Lions for DetroitLions.com, an insider. He'll, he'll give us a, a picture of him, but he seems to be the front runner for that. But they're, you know, they're doing their due diligence. And according to Sports Illustrated, um, Spielman spent 
from 7.30 in the morning until 11 at night checking out these other candidates for the job. And I'm sure that they went into this saying, Peters is our guy. You know, I, I think that everything you heard prior to him being hired was far and away he was the best candidate. Uh, Tom Lavero's got it in his column today that Randy Mueller of The Athletic, he's a former general manager, worked for the Saints, uh, he said it was a no-brainer to hire Peter. So they, they knew what they wanted to do, but, you know, as he said, he had to check in with everybody else. And I guess maybe you need that for a little bit of leverage, even though Peters, when he was hired the other day, said he was a bad negotiator. <laughs> and Josh Harris says, no, no, he wasn't. This agent did a good job. But, you know, maybe you do that just to make it seem like there are other candidates. So it's it's possible that if Peters doesn't take this job, he stays with the 49ers because there was a report that John Lynch who is the general manager, would move up to another position and Peters would get that job. But I think the intrigue of coming here, starting fresh, um, you know, it's a, it's a honeymoon period that you'll have here that you wouldn't have in most most organizations because it's been so bad. And if you make the playoffs in two years, people will be thrilled. So I think that had a lot to do with it. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, this this search is being done the right way, not the haphazard, you know, Danny, hop on my yacht and I'll try and charm you. It's it's really a, a thorough search, everybody working together. And uh, I like it. feels good. It's been a long time since it's felt this way. All right, uh, next hour, Brock Purdy. Interesting sit-down with Steve Young and uh, and how he views where he is. We'll talk about that. And also, Tim Twentyman will join, join us next as we look at the Lions situation and the quest to get Ben Johnson here as the head coach of the Commanders. Stay with us. It's the Andy Poland Show, ESPN 630. Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend OG not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor, too. The quiet luxury trend is out and loud budgeting is in. Are we tired of the pet names? Yeah, because I'm loud and obnoxious, so this fits right in with me. I'm like, yes, finally budgeting for me. <laughs> I get to walk into a restaurant and go, I'm cheap as hell, and you're not getting a tip. Live from Doug's Budget. <laughs> Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. All right, we have completed part one of the Commander's Rebuild with the hiring of Adam Peters as the general manager. Next step is to hire a coach. And you've been hearing the name Ben Johnson over and over for weeks, and nobody's doing nostalgia about the Olympics. That's Ben Johnson, who's the offensive coordinator of the Detroit Lions, who have, uh, in a hurry, rebuilt that organization. They have become uh, a really exemplary organization and uh, are favored to uh, to get to the NFC Championship game as they host uh, this weekend Tampa Bay. And we have Lions insider Tim Twentyman with us. He writes for DetroitLions.com. And uh, I want to delve into the playoff game as well, but our interest here is in, in Ben Johnson. So what can you tell us about him? Yeah, really smart guy. You know, I think one of the things um, that, that, that Ben did really well is when he was given the offensive coordinator job from Dan Campbell, he was the tight ends coach before that, the pass game coordinator. He, he, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll be a, a coordinator and, and this is my offense, right? This is my concepts. This is what I do. This is how it is. And everyone fits in line. Well, that's not what Ben Johnson did. Ben Johnson sat down with Jared Goff and said, Jared, what, what do you like? What do you do well? You know, certainly I'm going to have some concepts that, that I believe in, but he tailored this um, with Jared Goff. He built this with his quarterback, and I think that's why it's fit so well. That's why Jared Goff is playing so well. 
That's why the Lions are top five in every single major statistical category on offense. And, and really, that's been the strength of this football team. And I give Ben Johnson a lot of credit for, um, you know, including his quarterback, the most important position in football in that, building it around what he does well. And, and that's why they've had a lot of success on that side of the football here in Detroit. Interesting, his his rise is so quick. Uh, Dan Campbell, his first year, has Johnson as his passing coordinator. They'd worked together in Miami. And then elevating him that quickly to full offensive coordinator. We just had Eric Bieniemy here for a year, and he hung around Kansas City for years, never getting that title. Uh, what do you think that Campbell saw so early in Ben Johnson to to give him the play-calling duties? Yeah, he's really bright. I mean, it doesn't take long. If you talk to Ben Johnson for about 10 minutes, you'll walk away pretty darn impressed mm-hmm. with, with, with how intelligent he is. He's just um, really smart, knows offensive football, is really creative in, in, in terms of his run schemes. Um, Detroit can run inside. They can run outside. Um, obviously, they have you know a top three offensive line, which helps everything you do offensively. Uh, but he's just a, a really creative mind. He, he, he does a great job of... Um, you know, setting plays up. He'll run something in the first quarter, remember the look he got, and, and we'll just sit on that and sit on that, and then, boom, in the fourth quarter, he'll throw the counter to that when he gets that same look or sees it set up. He just has a great uh, mind for offensive football. Um, it, it, he... he he is uh, he's special, and I, I know the fans in Troy will certainly be upset uh, if and when he goes, but it's certainly well-deserved with how well this offense has played the last two years. Talking to Tim Twentyman, who's the Lions insider uh, for DetroitLions.com, and we're talking about Ben Johnson and the, and the desire here, it appears, to, to bring him in as the head coach. You mentioned the relationship with Jared Goff. Things are a little bit different here. You did have Sam Howell a full year as a starter, but I think with the way the season ended, nobody really expects he's the quarterback of the future. With Goff, it was a reclamation project. I mean, he had taken a team to a Super Bowl with the Rams, so it it seemed like it was a rebuilding of his confidence. The role here would probably be with a top pick quarterback. They've got the number two pick in the draft. It's likely they're going to take one of the two at the top, maybe Drake May, or could they move up even to get Caleb Williams? What do you think about him starting from scratch with a, a rookie quarterback? Well, I'd be excited if I was the rookie quarterback, to be honest with you, um, because I think it'd be similar to what happened here um, in Detroit. Now, you mentioned, obviously, Jared was a veteran guy, an experienced guy. There's there's nothing a defense can throw at Jared Golf that he hasn't seen, and mm-hmm. so that's certainly different. Um, but I, I would expect the same thing. He's going to um, sit down with, with that young quarterback, and, and they're going to find out what he does well, what he doesn't do so well. They're going to work really hard to fix those things that he doesn't do well, but they're going to build the offense and, and around what he does well. And I just think when, when, when you're resetting the offense, when you're resetting an organization at the quarterback position, put that young man in the best position to win, right? Mm-hmm. Find out what he does well. Let's, t- let's tailor our offense a little bit around that. Um, we're going to have to do some other stuff. He's going to have to get better. But, but let's start with what he does well, and that's what Ben Johnson will give you as the offensive coordinator. He is going to, um, you know, he, he, your offense is really going to excel at the things your quarterback does well. Okay, okay, and that's 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 uh, it is a quarterback league as we know. Um, j- just to back up a little bit on Goff, uh, when the trade was made with the Matt Stafford deal. It seemed to me like, you know, that, that was like he was being offloaded. You know, okay, you know, roll out his contract. You're, you're going to lose anyway. 
uh, and the future is probably going to be with somebody else. At what point do you think the coaching staff realized, oh, wait a minute, we got a quarterback here who could be our quarterback of the future? Yeah, I think it was the second half of last year. You know, obviously when he got here um, in 21, they only had three wins, but they were you know, void of talent around him. Um, you know, they started to draft well, get guys like Penny Sewell here, get a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown. And it was really the second half of last year when they went eight and two down the stretch, nearly made the playoffs after a one and six start. I think, uh, and Jared played so well and was the big reason why they were eight and two during that stretch. Um, I think that was when you really started to think, okay, I, I, I think he's our guy, but really, and then that was solidified this year. I think there were still, um, some question marks, you know, going into this year, um, but the way that he uh, kicked off the season, the way this team started, the way that Jared has played really all season long, 4,500 yards, uh, 30 touchdowns, you know, is the first alternate for the, for the Pro Bowl. So um, and I think he's solidified the fact that he's their guy. And then, you know, you win the, the, the first division championship for this organization in 30 years, and then you go win a playoff game, and now you're sitting in a good spot at home in the divisional round. I think there's no question that Jared Goff is the quarterback of the Detroit Lions for now and for the future. And I think a lot of people forget he's only 29 years old, too. Yep. Um, you know, he's been in the league seven years, but you know, here's a guy who's 29. We're not talking about a 33, 34, 35-year-old quarterback. He's 29. He's still got a lot of football in him, and I think it's going to be here in Detroit. You know, in, in many ways, this, this quarterback matchup that we have this week is is symbolic of it's never over till it's over for these quarterbacks. Baker Mayfield, also number one pick of the draft, Draft, discarded by his original team, uh, bounces to uh, to the Rams for a little bit, and now he's he maybe is going to be the quarterback of the future with uh, with with Tampa Bay. And and you wonder, you know, are these guys being discarded too soon? You know, so have there been some guys over the years that teams have given up on that might have a second life like these two? Yeah, I think these two guys are a great example of that, right? Yeah. I, I think sometimes you just you got to find the right spot. you got to find a team and a coach and a franchise that believes in you. And then you talk to anybody in that locker room, Detroit, and I'm, I'm, I'm guessing Tampa Bay would be the same way. You know, they love golf. I'm, I'm sure those guys over there love Mayfield. Um, you know, just uh, the even keel um, that, that Jared plays with. Um, you know, the, the ability to bounce back. Um, never takes anything too big, too light. That's what's been so great about him. And, and then with Baker, you know, you love that fiery side, right? A little trash talker. Yep. Guys can get around that too. And that's their mentality. So I think you just got, you got to find the right spot, the right offense, and then the right locker room. And I think in both places, that's fit for both those guys. Talking to Tim Twentyman, Lions insider. Now I, I have said this uh, over the past couple of years, how incredibly wrong I was about Dan Campbell. I was loud wrong. And that opening news conference, when he talked about biting kneecaps, I said, ugh, what a lunkhead. Have seen these guys before. <laughs> They're one and done. You never hear from them again. Did, did you at least roll your eyes at that news conference when he, when he said that? Or did, or did you find yourself being a believer at that time? You know, I think he just wanted to change the culture. That was really what that was about. You know, I mean, this, for so long, this was a franchise that just got walked over, you know, and uh, they were physical. Um, and he wanted to change the whole culture. And, and the, what, what, what endeared me to, to Dan right away was when he walked in here when he was interviewing, you know, when he was doing that, and mm -hmm. they were walking on the indoor field. And he got emotional because he was a guy that played here. He was on 0-16. He knows how hungry um, the fan base is. This is a football town. 
Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of places in the NFL like this. Now, you haven't done a lot of winning in Detroit, but that's a faithful group. And no matter what, they were always filling Ford Field. And they were so hungry. And I think Dan realized that. He knew that. And he knew that this is a lunch pail city, right? It's a motor city. And he kind of tapped into that kind of grit, that lunch pail, let's go to work. And I think it just fit from the beginning. And so I don't think that that speech would maybe – fit in a lot of other places, but I think it fit in Detroit just because of what this city is, the mentality, the kind of work ethic and, and lunch pail type. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of people in Detroit believed, even though a lot of people outside of Detroit, yourself included, did not. Yeah, no, I, I, I've, I've seen that, you know, and I thought oh, maybe that's going to work at the high school level or, or maybe in college, but these guys are pros. They, they don't need that Harry High School stuff. And it is working. And here's, here's something else I, I read recently. Um, you know, where we have all these like analytics based coaches like Mike McDaniel and Sean McVay, guys who who didn't play in the NFL and have, have studied film and, and the numbers and so forth. He, Dan Campbell is, I think, the only coach who played in this century. Right. In, in the 2000s. Other than uh, I don't think there's anybody else. Is there anybody else coaching in the league that's that was playing that recently? Um, I mean, I, I guess you could like Jared Mayo now, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Now just yeah, England, just named yeah, just in New just England. Now, but. yeah. I, I don't know. Was Vrabel around in two thousand? Vrabel, maybe. Still? Yeah. There's just but but the, yeah. the point being is he's more relatable now. You know, like when we yeah. were growing up, it was it was Mike Ditka, and then you know before that, even Tom Landry played in the forties, and you know everybody had some playing experience before they could rise to head coach. That hasn't been the path in most cases recently, but here's a case where it has been, and it's obviously worked out. Well, I think the players can respect that because Dan Campbell's not going to ask a player to do anything he didn't do himself or wasn't asked to do, you mm-hmm. know? Um, he's been here. He's been in this league. Um, and so that's very relatable from a player's perspective. He's built a, a coaching staff that's got a lot of guys, Mark Brunel, Antoine Randall L., um, you know, a lot of guys who are former players, there's just something about a, a, a guy who's been in their position, who understands it, um, that I think is very relatable to players. And, and that certainly is the case with Dan Campbell and, and a lot of guys on his staff as well. Let's talk about this matchup, uh, six-and-a-half-point spread. The uh, Lions beat the Bucks earlier this year. How much better are the Lions now than they played in that game? Yeah, I think both teams are better. Um, you know, Lions won that game 20-6, to six, but you only rushed for 40 yards. This is, mm-hmm. you know, a top-three rushing offense. Tampa Bay did a really good job. They've really done a good job all year stopping the run, but Lions didn't have rookie Jameer Gibbs in that game. He had a hamstring injury, and they lost David Montgomery in the second quarter um, to a rib injury. So I think it'll be definitely a different dynamic this time around with your two best running backs, and hopefully they stay healthy. But, look, Jared Goff threw for 353 yards and two touchdowns. They really got it done through the air. Um, you know, I, I think they want to be more balanced this time around, especially at home. Detroit's at its best when they're running the football, and then Jared can play action and do some of those things. But, look, you know, Tampa Bay only scored six points, but um, Baker was a little bit off in that game. They had gotten behind Detroit's defense, I can remember, three times, and he overthrew the ball. That would have been touchdowns on at least two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had some opportunities to score points and make this game close, and, and they missed out on those. And, look, that was when Tampa was, was – that kicked off a bad stretch of four straight losses for them. They are definitely a very different football team right now. They've won five of their last six. 
Uh, Baker's playing really well. We saw that in Philadelphia. And so I expect this game to be much closer than Vegas um, you know, thinks it will be. I think these, the, these two teams can both score. They, they play really good defense, especially against the run. I expect it to be closer than Vegas thinks. We saw the reaction of what it was like to have a playoff win in Detroit. Uh, it's it's a, still a long way to go. They are favored in this game, would likely have to go to San Francisco to play the NFC Championship game. But to be in a go Super Packers. Bowl, yeah, well, yeah, go Packers. And, and actually, you know, it's funny you say that because I was just thinking about uh, this similar situation for the Redskins uh, with the Doug Williams team where Minnesota went to San Francisco and upset them, and it meant that Minnesota had to play at RFK Stadium, and that was the famous, you know, Daryl Green knocking away from Darren Nelson at the goal line with Joe Gibbs on his knees, yeah. and, and they went to the Super Bowl. So, yeah, I mean, if it goes that far, whether they have to play in San Francisco or they play at home, I mean, what? give us a perspective. Of, it sounds like you've been there a long time. Give us a perspective of what it would mean to the city. I mean, it, it it would be insane. I mean, that atmosphere last week was the best atmosphere I've ever been a part of in my 15 years covering the NFL. Mm. I mean, they were, they had packed the stadium and they were in their seats an hour before the game. I've never seen that before where every seat was filled 45 minutes to an hour before the game. I mean, they were loud. They were electric. It was four hours straight. My ears were ringing afterward. It was, and it was an advantage too. I mean, look, the Rams had to take two timeouts to avoid delay of game penalties that ended up being crucial at the end of that game and allowed Detroit to run out the clock. And so um, they view it as an advantage. And, and look, the fans are going to do what they can to see this football team continue to win because uh, they haven't been doing this a whole lot. Um, for a long time now, and, and they want this run to continue. Ford Field, I think, has become one of the best home field advantages in the league, and Detroit, and the Lions fans are certainly going to make sure that's the case again on Sunday. Yeah, you could you could even hear it through the TV just how loud it was, so uh, I'm really looking forward. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a fun environment. If you ever get a chance, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it rocks in there. I was there for the, for the Super Bowl. Um, it was 2006 when the Steelers won, and uh, it's, it's a good yeah, yeah. it's a good city, and and fortunately the weather was like in the you know low 40s then, so it wasn't too bad. But, you know, I, I, not not like the reporter who asked the question uh, this week about about Tampa Bay playing. <laughs> I'm just saying for the fans to be outside, there was actually yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll be 70 we'll be 72 in uh, perfect conditions in Ford Field. Exactly, exactly. Hey, thanks, Tim. I appreciate the time. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. All right, that's Tim Twentyman, who is a Lions insider for DetroitLions.com. And uh, I, I, it's really a, a great story. I've known Dan Miller a long time, play by play voice of the team. He hasn't had many great games to call. He did the uh, 0 16 team as well, which uh, Dan Campbell played on. And uh, I, I'm happy to be wrong because I think they're fun and he's fun to watch. He, if, if, this is, if this works and it works in Detroit, I don't know whether it worked in other cities, other teams. But it's working for Dan Campbell and the Lions. It's working for Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, who is hoping to stay healthy through the playoffs this year. Had he stayed healthy last year, perhaps the 49ers would have been in the Super Bowl and we would have had maybe a rematch, Kansas City and uh, San Francisco. But didn't happen. Purdy got hurt. But he's back this year and back in, as Greenberg says, better than ever. Talking to Steve Young yesterday, we'll play some of that conversation as we continue. It's the Andy Poland Show, ESPN 630. Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend OG not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor too. The quiet luxury trend is out and loud budgeting is in. Are we tired of 
give the pet names. Yeah, because I'm loud and obnoxious, so this fits right in with me. I'm like, yes, finally budgeting for me. <laughs> I get to walk into a restaurant and go, I'm cheap as hell, <laughs> and you're not getting a tip. Live from Doug's Budget. <laughs> Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. The Andy Poland Show on ESPN 630, the sports capital. We're in for Tony today. I'll spend some more time on this in the 11 o'clock hour, but I've mentioned it a couple of times in the updates. Uh, you may have seen this on ESPN.com. John Kime has covered the team for like 30 years, covered, the, of course, the entire Ron Rivera run here and got uh, Rivera to talk about uh, what's next for him. And Rivera did say he wants to coach. Uh, obviously, he's not going to be a head coach again. He says he's had several opportunities and would be interested in being a defensive coordinator. He said it wouldn't be difficult to return to doing that. Talked about how much he liked being the defensive coordinator here after he fired Jack Del Rio. Well, they weren't good. You may have liked it, but the team stunk. So I don't know uh, how much interest there is, but I, he says there is, and I, I believe some teams are interested in talking to him. Um, and he talked about, you know, dealing with the, quote, stupid stuff. Well, that it's kind of what you signed up for, though you didn't know those Washington Post investigations were coming and things like that. And, uh, and then said about Sam Howell, he believes that Howell can be a starting quarterback. Well, he is a starting quarterback, has been. But he, he has this quote with uh, John. He said, uh, it was a big gamble. I put a lot on Sam, and I probably shouldn't have put as much pressure on him. And I think that was probably one of the mistakes I made this year. He didn't deserve to have that put on him. He's a good young quarterback, has some talent, has some ability. And I think that's something I should have backed off on. I should have been emphasizing he was going to be the guy that got the first opportunity. Just phrasing it that way would have taken a lot of pressure off him, just the kind that uh, he hadn't been anointed. Well, you know, based on his whiffs in the past, I think he, he was sort of in a position where he had to do that because given the, the unstableness of, of the organization uh, at that time, they weren't going to really attract anybody. He'd already whiffed big time on the Carson Wentz thing. Plus, they got fleeced. They had to give up pretty decent draft picks to get a guy who was going to get cut. Uh, so they, they, they got taken on that. Uh, that Wentz was a complete disaster. He, he said that was his move. Uh, through no fault of his own, the Ryan Fitzpatrick thing didn't work out. Okay, he played 16 plays, and, and that was it. And then uh, going back to Dwayne Haskins, that's probably the, the first mistake he made. Uh, and I, I don't know this, but it would seem to me he committed to Dan Snyder that he was going to try and see if there's anything that he could get out of him as opposed to looking at the draft and saying, yes, Chase Young may be a generational defensive talent, but we still need a quarterback. He went into that year thinking, eh, maybe I can revive Dwayne Haskins. And being a defensive guy, he was enticed by this incredible college talent who has yet to prove what he can do in the NFL because of injury and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, had he, had he gone into that season with his eyes more wide open about what they had seen from Dwayne Haskins in his rookie year – yeah, you know, the entire run might have been different. Might have. You know, there's a lot of mistakes he made in personnel, obviously, where where you've got Adam Peters coming in as the general manager, and he's asked about the roster, and he said, uh, there's some cornerstones, but there's a lot of work to do. <laughs> Meaning, yeah, we've got a few players who we'd like to keep. And, and best case scenario, like three years from now, there may be like six or seven guys from the current roster still on the team. That's how much of a rebuild it is, and that's on Rivera. 
Rivera was in charge, the ultimate say on uh, on personnel. All right, uh, let's get to this. This is Brock Purdy, who's the quarterback, uh, as you know, of the uh, San Francisco 49ers. He made the Pro Bowl this year. He was in conversation for most valuable player. He's, he's not going to win that. Lamar Jackson is, but he's had a hell of a year for the 49ers. And this is Steve Young sitting down with him. Steve Young being fired by ESPN. I don't know why that happened. I thought he was a tremendous analyst. But he's obviously got other things that he's doing. He's doing things with the 49ers, lives in San Francisco, and had a real interesting sit-down with Brock Purdy. Uh, And this is about the Purdy calmness that he sees on the field. It is unusual for a guy in his second year, who was the last pick of the draft, to be that cool out on the field. This is almost Montana-esque for what we're we're seeing from him. This is a Purdy with Steve Young yesterday. Most human beings, Brock, when uh, things get more tense, the adrenaline runs, uh, things speed up, your mind shallows, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. And it kind of gets overwhelming. And from an outsider's perspective, it feels like your DNA, it doesn't work that way. It's from outsider now. It feels like now, it, the bigger the moment, the more calm you get in a weird way. Yeah. Is that what... Explain that, because other humans are like, well, how does that happen? Yeah, um, I mean, there's been situations in my life playing the game where, you know, just growing up, high school, college, where the moment has been pretty big for me. Um, And then I had watched the film after, and I'm like, man, if I'm just watching this film and I take away all the emotion of how I was feeling right then and there in that moment, like, I just got to do this, or I have to do that, and I have to go through this read. And so I feel like sort of, going back to those experiences, I'm reminded of that in the moment. And it's like, there's, I'm in a big environment right now. There's a lot of people going crazy and stuff. Um, We feel a certain way because of the score, the situation. But I know that after this game, when I turn on the film and it's just me in a quiet room, like all I have to do is drop back, look off this defender and hit my guy right, right over the middle or whatever the play is. And, and so I sort of remind myself of that. Like I'm playing 11 on 11 football. Um, you know, if I do fail here, I'm going to learn from it. And so it sort of takes out that factor of fe- fearing to fail, you know. So, um, I don't know. Those are... It feels like you simplify it. It's yeah. like you make it simple. Like, I got to play. Yep. I'm going to run it. And then I'm just thinking about me now watching the film of it. And did I just do what I was supposed to do? Yeah. And that's hard for people to kind of be able to isolate that. Have you... Is that just something that just happens to you? You experience enough to say, because I, I, I got to be honest with you, most people can't, you can say, hey, just keep it simple. Mm-hmm. They can't do that, but you can. And it feels like there's something about your makeup that allows that. And have you thought much about that? Because it seems odd. Yeah. Um, man, I always feel like there's so more, you know, that I could be better at and stuff. So, um for me to sit back and think, oh man, I'm doing this right or this right. Like I always feel like there's more. And so I don't know if I necessarily have taken a step back and thought about it, but um, that's what comes to mind when you ask me just in terms of keeping things simple. I just go back to the film and I'm like, man, when I watch this film and everything's quiet, you know, it's not as bad as I thought it was in the moment, you know, Um, in terms of going through my reads and hitting hitting the check down rather than forcing something or, or, um, you know, letting the moment be too big for me. So and then obviously, like, if we're being honest, my faith, you know, tying into my faith, um, that, that allows me to just, you know, play and 
not be afraid to fail. Like I know that, you know, God's going to you know, take care of wherever I'm at in my life, whether it's football or not. And so I, I'm, I'm actually able to use that when I'm making decisions and, and um, playing football. Well, whatever works, um, you know, the the calmness in in the face of, of a storm, we're giving a lot of credit to Sam Howell during the season uh, about that. You had offensive linemen saying, I've never seen anybody who, you know, gets his butt kicked and comes back in and acts like nothing happened. Purdy, though, isn't taking all the sacks and isn't throwing all the interceptions that Sam Howell did. You know, they're both in their second year. Granted, he's on a much better team. And that includes um, Trent Williams, who's announced he's coming back for his 14th year. He's got 12 Pro Bowls, so he's got he's got a much better offensive line and a better team, certainly. Um, but um, this this is working for him with his faith. And you know, I mean, who who are we to question it? It's uh, it's it's how he he deals with life, and he's he's looking at football like, okay, I'm going to try the best I can, but God has a plan for me. Uh, this is more on that the mental part of the game which he said has become a bigger part of his game since he came into the NFL. Growing up, I always felt like I had to be the athletic Superman on my team and win games. I feel like now it's like, man, yes, win games, but not with your body so much, but with your mind. You know, win games by making consistent, you know, the right decision consistently. Um, You know, obviously going through reads, if I have an opportunity with the D-ball or something, great. If not, check it down. Like, that's winning the game not turning the ball over. Um, obviously, I've had to learn the hard way multiple times this year um, with those kinds of games and performances. But, you know, the games that we're winning, it's because I'm being smart with the ball and I'm willing to check it down. I'm willing to punt um, and those kinds of things. So that's something that I feel like I've learned. Um, and then just the other thing, just with life and stuff, you know, as a quarterback in the NFL, like it's a long season. You play 18 games or 17 games, 18 weeks. And, um there's there's a lot of good there's a lot of bad and people you know obviously will talk you up when things are all great and stuff and then the minute you fail and slip up they're quick to say all right see you know this is who he really is so um as a human and as a football player man that that's what I've sort of just had to learn this year is understanding who I am and whether I do good or not like I'm rooted in that and who I am you know and for me it's my faith in God and and that's it you know I, I am who he calls me to be um, I love all my teammates and my family well, uh, whether whatever the circumstance is, you know. So that's something that I've learned this year, and um, you know, hopefully, I can continue to build off that. A lot of people, I talk about other humans. We we all struggle with perception. Yeah, you know, it's like I, you know, and I always say perception is. There's an old saying uh, that possession is nine tenths of the law. It's a law school thing I learned, but I always change it to perception is nine tenths of the law because if you're perceived to be something, you got this weight on you. Mm. And that weight feels very light on, for whatever reason, whether it's Mr. Irrelevant or whether it's perception that you aren't uh, Lamar Jackson and got the speed or you're not Josh Allen, you're not 6'6", like all these perceptions. And it feels like we all lay those on you. And you're like, it doesn't, it doesn't say, you don't carry them around. There's no weight to it. Is that true? That there's no, you don't feel a weight to the perceptions that people have uh, or the misperceptions that people have. It feels like you're free. And like, I, I speak about Mr. Elvin, you probably hate hearing that word, but it's like this thing that everyone wants to talk about and you, it feels like, you, it's like you've left it behind. And I just wonder how mentally, how do you do that? Because that seems very hard. Yeah, I mean, that is a perception that you can have, you know, even for myself, like thinking like 
those kinds of people who say he's not this, he's not that. Um, but again, like I said, my identity isn't in football. So you um, just refuse. It's like yeah. anything that comes from outside, it just doesn't get through the filter. 100%, yeah. And it's, e- it's easy to say really like, like, Of course you hear it. Of yeah. course you know it. It's got to weigh you down. And it feels like you're saying, no, yeah. it actually doesn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Just my identity, you know, not being in, in this football, this life, um, you know, the things that can come with it. And it's, it's all, you know, such a blessing. I'm very thankful for it and I'm not taking it for granted, but I honestly, my mindset is I try to hold this all loosely, you know, not try to hold on to, I need to be the guy, the starter in the NFL, this and that. And I think the more you think like that, the more you start comparing comparing yourself to guys like that, Lamar Jackson, uh, Josh Allen, or whatever. And those guys are great, but I'm not them, and they're not me. Like I know who I am. And God, if you want me to do great with this, great. If not, all right, let's go do something else wherever you need me. And um, that's allowed me to not put all this pressure on myself. It's allowed me to play free. It's allowed me to live my life and keep things simple. And um, <laughs> yeah. And there's a, it seems like there's a piece to the fact that if it went away, yeah, it's like, okay, what's next? Exactly. hundred percent. Playing with house money, you know, it sounds like, and his, his faith is that, yeah, I'm going to try the best I can to play quarterback and, and lead the 49ers to the championship, but there's a higher power there that's calling the shots and he's going to decide, or she's going to decide how it goes for me. I, I don't know. I mean, it's not. The way I, I live my life, but boy, it, it sounds like a, a great way to, to be calm and to go through life like that. I'm I'm kind of the opposite of that. I don't really function like that, but it's working for him. It's working for him on the football field to the point where he has now become, and with Joe Montana and Steve Young, two of the best to have ever played the position, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, Brock Purdy is now the 49ers single season passing yardage leader. Man, it's it's an honor, you know, for me growing up. And anytime I saw a 49er logo, I always thought of, you know, you and Joe and what you guys did in the Super Bowls more than anything. Um, and so then obviously I get here and I'm just trying to make the team. And then last week happens and they tell me after the game, hey, by the way, you broke the record. I'm like, what? So literally you did. You did I had an idea going in towards the end of the season that it could come about, but I didn't know that I did it right then and there. And so they told me after, and I was like, wow, um, just in inside. And so, but man, what an honor. And more than anything, man, you guys got the championship. So we gotta, we just gotta keep it rolling and, and match that standard. Well, you were the number one vote getter in the Pro Bowl. If I would have told you that a year or even more ago, that Brock Purdy would be the number one Pro Bowl vote getter in the 19, you know, 2023 season, would that shock you? Would it be like, oh yeah, like how, like that has to be something that you didn't expect? Man, I would, honestly, I would probably just think like, man, like, you know, that's all God. He's got a plan um, more bigger and, and more beautiful than ever, that I could ever imagine, honestly. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to show up every day, work hard and see where he takes me. And so um, I'm very thankful for him, man, but you know, did I ever expect all this kind of stuff? I didn't. I, I have no idea, you know, so just try to show up, do my job every day, and it falls into place how it needs to. It's going to fall into place tomorrow or Saturday night when the uh, when the 49ers host the Green Bay Packers. It's, uh, it's, it's you know, it's a remarkable story. Somebody who wasn't just a, a late-round pick, he was the last pick, the last pick of the draft 
and uh, could wind up hosting the Super Bowl MVP trophy <laughs> in two years. It's incredible. I mean, Joe Montana was a third round pick. And when he became a Super Bowl champion two years, three years into his career, whatever it was, that was like, hey, wow, Bill Walsh saw something there that nobody else saw. Third round, third round. He did play at Notre Dame, much higher profile in college than Brock Purdy. I mean, Joe Montana pulled off one of the great college comebacks of all time in his last game when they won the Cotton Bowl against Houston. And it was, you know, the, the legendary story that he had hypothermia at halftime. They had to give him chicken soup to get him back on the field. And he made it back for the fourth quarter and pulled off one of the great uh, great comebacks ever. So we knew about him. I mean, nobody knew about Brock Purdy when he was Mr. Irrelevant. Hey, you may have, if you're a big fan, you saw him play at Iowa State, but eh, not, not really, not, not really that known. And, and to have gotten to this point as quickly as he did, there's a lot of things that went in his favor, including uh, injuries to Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, including being with the right organization, uh, the 49ers, who uh, with Adam Peters, who was there, helped to acquire a lot of the talent. A lot of things happened f- uh, for him in a way that uh, might not happen anywhere else. But uh, the attitude that he has, like, hey, you know, uh, yeah, whatever, you know, I'll just do the best I can. And, and whatever the plan is for me, that's the plan. Uh, latest from uh, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network is that Bill Belichick is going to get a second interview with the Atlanta Falcons. And uh, he did that Monday night. He met with Arthur Blank. And uh, I guess there's enough interest on both sides for him to come back. I, I think this might be the right spot for him. Now, we had Chris Price on from the Boston Globe this week. And he covered almost all of Belichick's run with the Patriots. And he thought, you know, the best place for him is Dallas. He says this is kind of a Pat Riley thing. You know, Pat Riley went from the uh, Chicago Bulls with Michael Jordan to Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. Not that they have superstar talent with the Cowboys, not that Dak Prescott is, is anywhere near Tom Brady, but it's the glamour team. The Lakers are the glamour team. It fits. Well, last night, your Jerry Jones put out a statement announcing that Mike McCarthy's going to be back, and he's going to be back with one year left on his contract, and that's not unusual for Jerry he's done this before. So Jason Garrett twice in his run, he lasted, I think, 10 years with the Cowboys, twice during that run, he went into the last year of his deal. And, you know, it's not a great situation normally because the players are like, you know, who knows if this guy is going to be here. Plus, off what happened in the playoff. I mean, it wasn't just a playoff loss. It was a, it was a debacle. They they were out of it almost before it started. And and how about Kyle Shanahan's comment this week when he was asked about preparation? He said we started preparing for the Packers in the second quarter. <laughs> like you know, twenty seven nothing is not an insurmountable lead. In fact, we saw it happen last year uh, with the Chargers. You know that that happens, but. Um, but in this in this case, uh, Jerry looked at it and he said, you know, because because it seemed like it would be a fit with Belichick. It, at least they would talk. At least there'd be. And maybe they did. Maybe over the phone. But people have pointed out over the years the respect that Belichick has for Jerry Jones. I think part of it is that, you know, he makes the kind of money that he could never have dreamed of when he went to work with uh, Ted Marshall Broda with the Colts is like a $50 a week gopher. But. I also think that he thinks that Jerry's really smart, and I think Jerry's smart. He's just 
his ego is such that he probably looked at the Bill Belichick situation and said, if Belichick comes in here and if he wins, he's going to get the credit. And I think we've had three straight 12-win seasons so we can get over the hump next year. I don't think they can. I think, I think what you have is a team that does not perform in the biggest moments uh, with a head coach who, yes, he did win a Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers. I don't think Dak Prescott is, is Aaron Rodgers. And I just think that, that they have consistently shrunk from the moment ever since they won their last Super Bowl, which is now 30 years ago, almost 30 years ago. Uh, January of 1995 was their last uh, Super Bowl victory. So, I, I, or maybe 96, you know, maybe even 96. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think this is, this is going to be very interesting to see what happens with Belichick and the irony of going to a team that he should have lost to in the Super Bowl. It was 28-3, to and if Kyle Shanahan does a run instead of a pass, I don't think there's enough time for Brady to pull the comeback and win the game in overtime. And Belichick was the coach then. Now he comes to, uh, he comes to the Atlanta Falcons. My, I mentioned this. My nephew is an assistant trainer with the Falcons, and uh, when he got married, uh, you know, Jews give cash. We, we like to give cash. I think cash is the best way to go uh, for gifts. So uh, my daughter and her husband gave them a, a cash gift of $283. And people went, what? $283? That's, that's a weird, oh, 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 yeah, 20, 28 to 3. So uh, the, the man of the, uh, uh, author of the 28 to 3 comeback, and in fact, uh, the Patriots ring, for that Super Bowl had 283 diamonds in it. <laughs> the, the author of that could be coming to the Falcons. And good for Arthur Blank if he lands them. That's going to create a lot of excitement. I was at that stadium this year. In fact, I saw Baker Mayfield uh, beat the uh, beat the Falcons. So that, that'll be something if, uh, if Belichick winds up there. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.